Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to the Umarpreneur podcast. In this very special episode, I have with me brother Khuram Agha, who is the founder of Agha's Investments. And it's a really amazing investment firm specifically catered towards the Muslim community. I'm really excited to dive into this topic because one of the biggest questions that I get asked very often from most entrepreneurs, you know, most Muslims out there is how can I find a halal investment? How can I find halal funding for my project, for my, the home that I want to purchase, for this you know, this trip that I want to go on. And so this is going to be a really exciting episode for all of you who are wondering about how you can find a highlight investment. This is the episode to listen to. Brother Khuram, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Assalamu alaikum. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course, the pleasure is all mine. And before we talk about Agha's investments and what you do, can you shed with us a little bit of light uh, on your background specifically and what inspires you to launch this business in the first place? Yeah, so uh, before I get started, uh, you're in sort of my pseudo hometown of Montreal. That's where yes. I, I went to school and I love that place. So it's great to meet somebody. It's great to meet someone from over there. So yeah. from Montreal, when I graduated from McGill, I joined Microsoft. That was way back in uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like life passes by, 17 years later, I was still at Microsoft. And I had a, alhamdulillah, a wonderful career there. Uh, I, I, I did many great things. I feel I, I started new teams. I became the general manager of the team that I was an intern in myself. Uh, at my last role there as a senior director of engineering, I owned capacity for Azure, which means the entire data that's entering Microsoft systems or exiting. My systems had something to do with it. So I felt it was a very important role with visibility all the way to the CEO. But after 16 years, I just felt it lacked any purpose for me. So if I didn't go to work one day, what would happen? They would find easily somebody else to replace me. So while I loved the network, I loved what I did, the people, the mentoring, I just felt I wanted to do something which had more meaning in it. Mm -hmm. And right about this time, throughout this, I'm an investor. I invest in stocks and REITs and real estate and all those things. And I I saw around me, a friend of mine, we were chatting and he's like, I'm sitting on about $800,000 cash in my checking account. And I'm like, why do you do that? And he's like, look, man, I just don't trust the market. If I put Mm -hmm. money in the S&P 500, maybe there's exposure to riba. Maybe there is something not halal in it. And I just Mm -hmm. want to be safe. And I Mm -hmm. thought to myself, I was like, I respect that so much. But you know, that's such a bad idea for Mm -hmm. financial reasons, right? I mean, inflation is over 9% now. You're losing value year over year. You give zakat and charity every year. Before you know it, your money is decreasing. So we need to invest. And that's what started me in this journey of how do we invest according to our beliefs? You know, when it comes to the chicken we eat, we are so particular about it, right? Where did the chicken come from? Slaughtered the right way. But when it comes to money, when it comes to investments, I just didn't find enough options for us, which led me to start Agha's Mm -hmm. Investments. Mm, that's a beautiful purpose behind it, mashallah. And you, you, and you shared it so beautifully. And I think that is one thing that we tend to see in the ummah is we sometimes think that, you know, there's a lack of funds, there's a lack of money to go around. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why as a community we're struggling. But I think the opposite really is that, you know, the Muslim ummah, we have amazing Muslim professionals, Muslim business people, you know, founders, innovators that are out there that are doing amazing things, but they don't know how to then repurpose that money towards growing it, towards increasing their wealth, towards even contributing to make a bigger impact. And, you know, when you when you realize that this was a need and that you could 
potentially present a solution. What was it like for you in those early stages, right? When you, when it went from just being an idea, a potential solution to actually saying, well, you know what, I'm going to build this business. I'm going to build a invest. What was that like for you? Yeah. So, so I actually remember that light bulb moment for me uh, when I really thought that I need to do this. And I can't, I have a photo of that also somewhere. It was during tax time. So we were mm. doing taxes 15th April, Uncle Sam day, right? And I'm going through my 1099 forms and I look and there's bond income and interest income in there. And I was like, I unintentionally, I was getting a bunch of interest income in my overall taxes. And, and that was the day I was like, you got to do something about it. So I donated that amount away to charity. But how many people know how to even find that out? Right. So that was the light bulb moment for me, which said, you know what, I got to do something about this. Now, I actually went about it methodically. So I started working on it. Before I even left my, my corporate jobs, I was at Microsoft. Then I went for to Oracle as a senior director for a couple of years. And while I was at Oracle, I joined this accelerator. It was Founders Institute in Seattle. And it was for a pre-seed sort of uh, company. And it was very interesting that I went in there to create a values-based investment advisor. And through that process, I actually, through feedback from their mentors and through the network over there, I actually narrowed in to creating it for Muslims first. So I didn't even intend for it to be a Muslim-only solution because I thought we'll narrow in later. But there was some really good learning from the accelerator. And that's how I went about it. Now, as any entrepreneur will tell you, right, you make some assumptions about what your customers are looking for, which are almost always going to be wrong. So my major learning for myself was that I created a solution that I would use. And I realized that I was not a typical customer. So I had to really go through this discovery process of actual customers and what their financial needs were, and then craft up a solution aligned with their needs. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, if, if it's okay to ask, were you in, in a corporate world? Were you already an entrepreneur doing something else in business? Were you looking to transition out of a corporate job? What, were, what was your situation like overall? Yeah, so I, I didn't want... I'm not a checklist guy, right? I don't want to be called an entrepreneur. So I don't want to just leave my corporate whatever experience to do something just to become an entrepreneur. No, I was specifically looking for something which I found meaning in. So no, mm. this was my first entrepreneur thing. I was going to do something in Islamic finance. That's all mm. I knew. I didn't know it was mm. going to be an asset management or a wealth management startup. It was going to be a lending startup. I just knew that there is a dearth, a lack of real good Islamic finance products. And I wanted to help solve that gap. That's mm -hmm. it. I love that. And so with the journey of building Agas to where it is today, if you can walk us through the main kind of milestones that you've had to go through to bring it where it is today, what were the main stepping stone to take it from idea to actual business launch? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, this is where, you know, I've done an MBA, so we've taken entrepreneur and innovation classes, but everything you've learned through school sort of just fades away when you're in the real world, right? So I, as, I, as I mentioned, I very quickly made an MVP. So I contracted a software development team uh, offshore. I, I myself am a developer, so I was able to lead them along with help from my, some of my initial team members. But mm -hmm. the product we created was really tailored towards savvy people like myself. Like mm -hmm. I focused on the back end and the, the, the encryptions and the investment analysis. And we came up with a product that worked very securely, but it was ugly to look at. Mm -hmm. And that was not what we, what our customers were looking for. So we went through our V0.5, let's say, and we talked to a bunch of customers. 
we tailored some of the user experience around the people expect people's expectations of it and then we launched what i call our mvp that was about a year a little bit over a year ago uh, in ramadan of last year when it really became a product that we felt was ready so the first okay. first milestone really for us was launch something get actually some prototype in front of people then get their feedback to see what kind of experience they're looking for user experience the ui the feature set and you continuously iterate on it the other thing is you start with only one thing you cannot boil the ocean really so you start with just an investment advisor platform you know tell us your goals and we'll make an investment portfolio for you and that's how we started but now over time we've added a bunch of new features in it but if we started with the entire ocean to boil we would not have done a good job with any of it so then mm. we that's how we incrementally added our features over several months milestones so you really focused on figuring out what is the main priority first and then moving forward from there and for you guys what was it exactly what was the main thing that you guys really needed to ensure that you built with agaz invest right so so see there are some good investment stories out there i mean you can buy amana mutual funds you can buy some of the new halal etfs that are out there wahid investments obviously is a major player also in this field but so i didn't want to just replicate the wheel right we wanted to add some value and what i realized was yeah. if you're a 25% 25 year old investor your job or your goals are not to save for your retirement which will be 45 years later you are looking for goals you will you want to get married you want to go for hajj buy a house buy a car so we actually designed a goals based investment advisor so we didn't bore you with technical details about your portfolio optimization and this that we said abby tell us your goals what do you want to do in the next 10 years of your life and then through that we created unique investment portfolios fully diversified by software so that was the unique split we put on it by working on your goals and creating portfolios for each of your goals based investment stories Mm -hmm. So in terms of how Agaz Invest works, if someone were to come in to invest with you guys because they want to be able to grow their wealth in a halal way, how what, what do you mean by like diver, software diversified? Is it that you guys make a list of here, here are all the potential halal stocks, investments, and then you create you know customized portfolios based on the investor? How does it work, and how how what does it look like in terms of your process of really singling out which stocks are deemed to be halal versus which ones aren't? Yeah so there's two questions here really one of them mm -hmm. is how do we determine the sharia compliance of our investment portfolios and the yeah. second is how do we craft unique portfolios for each of our customers goals so let me do the the second one first we can go sure. to the other one first. so so we have different asset classes we have stocks like s&p 500 we have sukuk which are fixed income uh, alternatives to bonds for example we have gold and palladium and other precious metals we have real estate uh, trusts reits out there so there are different asset classes that we figure out what their composition should be so if your time horizon for your goal is 7 years and you have another goal for 20 years we do we make some different choices for each of your goals like that we are just maybe you need more exposure to sukuk and less exposure to stocks maybe more exposure to stocks and less exposure to reits for example so we go through this software optimization process to create a fully diversified portfolio it won't all be stocks it won't all be sukuk it will be an optimal mixture of each of them which is tailored towards your risk level and your goals mm -hmm. now how do we do the sharia compliance that's the most important thing right i mean there the, the way i think about it 
we are an SEC registered investment advisor. We will always remain in compliance with SEC rules and regulations. And we are a Sharia compliant investment advisor. We will always be in compliance with Sharia principles. We have a Sharia board of Sheikh Omar Khan and Sheikh Mufti Faraz. We have some advisor, uh, Shayukh as well, uh, mostly in California. And we just went through a Sharia audit of our entire portfolio. And we, we got some real good feedback, which we will share on our blog soon. So what mm -hmm. we do with Sharia compliance is that we adhere to the AOFI criteria, which is the, the criteria based on the Middle East. Most scholars across the world agree that that's an acceptable framework for what determines the Sharia compliance of a, of a stock. Then we actually have a contract with a third party, independent to us, provider that implements the AOFI standard and gives us data in real time or over a quarterly period of the entire U.S. market, which is Sharia compliant or not. So that's mm -hmm. the second level of filter that we have. The third filter is our own filter, where we individually select securities and stocks from the Sharia compliant list and then create software optimized solutions. So for what software optimization would mean is we have a stock list of 192 out of 500 stocks in the S&P 500, 36% that are Sharia compliant. Our software finds the optimal 20 or 25 of them that minimize your risk and maximize your return, sharp ratio. That's the portfolio that we create for our customers. So as you can see, there's a funnel-based approach. We do an AOFI standard. We work with our partners who give us data. We come up with software selection, and that's how we come up with the individual securities that comprise your software uh, portfolios. Mm -hmm. Mashallah, I really like that. And I like that you've really been able to explain the process entirely from beginning to end. And I really appreciate that. Do you plan in, in the future, is there any plans for you to implement not only solutions where Muslims can invest to grow their wealth, but also where you will invest into certain projects, certain businesses, certain, uh, certain entrepreneurs as well within the Muslim Ummah. Is that in your roadmap in the future? It's actually one of the biggest requests we get from customers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, you know, as I mentioned, we're SEC regulated, which means there's yeah. only certain things we can invest in, right? Which is what we're doing today. We're also only available in the US, but we are extending that soon to, uh, to other countries. It's actually really interesting. I thought the easiest one to, to, get, to get to next would be Canada. In fact, mm -hmm. Canada is a hard one to get to for some reason. So we'll go to UK before we go to Canada. There's a different there's a set of reasons for it. So, yeah. so yeah, we definitely want to expand. Now, coming back to it, as I mentioned, our asset classes that we invest in are the ones that I mentioned, which are mostly publicly traded, right? So publicly traded stocks and Sukuk mm -hmm. and ETFs and so on. Now, when it comes to alternate asset classes like venture capital, like commercial real estate, you know, there's mm -hmm. multiple fine arts, there's multiple different asset classes. So we actually have plans to find the appropriate regulatory licenses and approvals towards it, and then the, the ability to be able to, to, to invest in those classes. So for example, mm -hmm. we can't invest in a startup because that requires a VC type of accredited license that we don't have. Our organization mm -hmm. doesn't have that. But we can do that. We can get a crowdfunding license. We can work with other players like Forza Capital, for example, mm -hmm. that does crowdsourcing. Uh, and we can work with them on a diversified portfolio like this. So today, no, but definitely that's our plan to go towards in the near future. Inshallah, definitely. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and it's interesting they mentioned Foresight Capital because I brought uh, I brought the founder here on the on this podcast with me, and uh, it was really really nice to you know bring him on, get his perspective, um, and you know it's really interesting to see that there's all these Muslim uh, companies that are really 
starting up right now recently within the Dallas area as well in Texas. I believe he's also located there and really just trying to solve this problem that we lack solutions within the Muslim community, right? When it comes to halal investments, when it comes to halal finance. And one thing that I do want to ask, as you're progressing now and Agaz Invest is launched, alhamdulillah, and moving forward through the next stages, one of the questions that I have for you is how do you see cryptocurrency, NFTs, and the really the crypto space in general, how is that going to affect your trajectory? Is it going to affect it at all? Do you plan to tap into that market? Is that not something you're looking at? So we are very closely looking at crypto, actually. Now, the thing with crypto mm -hmm. is that the jury is kind of still out on the Sharia compliance of the crypto coins that are out there. Uh, there are some scholars who categorically don't approve of them. Some do and some are ambivalent about it. So our Sharia scholars, which I mentioned, are Mufti Faraz, Sheikh Omar, they are okay with certain cryptos like Bitcoin, Ethereum. They comply with their criteria for Sharia compliance, but some others, many others do not. So mm -hmm. we have actually, we are working on our brokerage provider to create some pro portfolios exclusively on the Sharia compliant uh, coins and crypto that we have. So we will launch that shortly. We have been working on it. The main and most important thing is to make sure that whichever crypto we use is compliant with Sharia principles according to our shayukh and then we will launch fully diversified portfolios using crypto also. Very nice. I appreciate you sharing that. And for you right now, if we look, kind of zoom out of your offerings and really look at entrepreneurship as a whole, you've been building a house invest for how many years now? When was it where you really had the idea? How long ago was that versus where we are now? It was July 2020. So about exactly two years ago. Two years and, ago, uh, mashallah. Yes, we started two years ago. So we started working on it and we launched it six or eight months later after that. Meanwhile, we raised some yeah. capital uh, pre-seed round as well. And that's what we used to, to, uh, to launch our MVP product. Amazing, mashallah. So as you've gone through these last two years and, and this entire journey of building this platform, right? What for you have been maybe two or three of the biggest lessons that you've learned as an entrepreneur for all the other business owners that listen to this podcast? I have a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurs, CEOs in their own right. I would love to know for you what have been maybe the, the major two or three learning lessons that we could benefit from as you've gone through these last two years to start up Aghaz Invest. You know, the most important thing, which uh, if you ask me for three reasons, I'll give you the same reason, number one, number two, and number three. And mm -hmm. that is know your customer. You mm -hmm. have to know what the customer problem it is. You know, many a time, smart entrepreneurs get into this trap, a vanity trap of, I know what the customer wants. I know what the problem is. And you try to solve it, which might be wonderful, but that might not be what the customer is looking for. So you really have to religiously you know, very, very stubbornly follow the customer, learn from them, ask them what is good, what's not good, what's bothering them. The more you do, the more you'll understand the actual problem that you're creating a solution for. And the more you do that, the more attuned to the customer's uh, needs is your solution going to be. Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate that you touched upon that because one of the main things that I work on with my mentees when it comes to helping them in the startups is really the market research, understanding the problem, understanding the solution, because as entrepreneurs, we tend to fall in love with 
our own way of solving a problem. We, we approach a problem with, let's say, you know, you, you think of a block of Legos and you have a, maybe a triangle in your hand. Now, what we do is we say, well, for example, my triangle, my solution that I want to offer is, you know, Facebook ads, or I have this relationship coaching method that I want to implement to, to couples, or as you mentioned, now this halal investment strategy. And we, and we first begin with the solution with the triangle. And then we try to like forcefully fit it into the hole, even though it's not necessarily the right object. It might be a square, right? The hole might be a square. It might be a circle, but we're trying to fit it in a triangle. And so instead, instead, we should always start, as you mentioned here, with figuring out what is really the problem, right? What is the hole? And then what tool am I going to need to fill that hole, to fill that problem, right? So again, if you have, you know, a triangle and you're trying to force it in to a square, it's just not going to go in no matter how hard you try. And that's why so many entrepreneurs struggle right? They have a solution that they think that is what the market wants. And then they're wondering why they've been marketing this and pushing it out and working months and months, but not seeing any traction. Whereas if they just reverse the process and instead focus first on what is the problem and then what are all the possible solutions that I could think of? And out of those solutions, which one is the best one? They're going to have a much easier time because they're going to really speak to what the market wants right now, right? What are their needs? What are their desires? Yeah, so actually that would be learning number two for me. Learning number one was know your customer. Mm. Learning number two yeah. is lose your ego, man. We mm. we really think that we know it all. We know what, what the customer wants. We have to lose our ego. We have to be prepared to be wrong. You know, many a time it's a cliche, but we have solutions looking for problems, right? Yeah. Or as the cliche yeah. goes, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Exactly. The entrepreneurship, mm. it's a brutal world out there. Many, yeah. most people will not make it. So you have to, you know, align with what your potential customers are looking for. Otherwise, you'll work very hard and die very quickly. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. And what is the third one, if I can extract that from you as well? It's a third little strategy, tip, advice that we can take from you, inshallah. Um, uh, always, uh, I would say, so the first is know your customer. The second mm -hmm. is lose your ego. Don't be too stubborn about, you know, what your perceptions are, what your belief system is. And the, the last one I would say is going to take longer. It's mm. going to take more money. It's going to take longer. You know, if you think it's going to take two months, it's going to take three. You know, I'm yeah. a software developer. I have worked with large teams and I would come up with an estimate and say, yeah, it's going to take three weeks to do this. And two mm. and a half months later, we're still working on it. It's because being an entrepreneur in a startup world, it's a different mindset. When I was yeah. at Microsoft and I had a presentation to a VP to make, there'd be a team of people around me, right? One would be yeah. doing research for me. One would be making my PowerPoint. One would be just working with me on the script. Well, guess what? As an entrepreneur, you're the only guy. That's it. Yeah. You are the PM. <laughs> you are the everything, right? So, so it's going to take longer. And the sooner you adapt to that, the earlier you'll realize that your project management is a little bit different when it comes to startup mind, mindset mm -hmm. than it was before. So that's what I would say. It's going, plan for longer. Plan for mm -hmm. your funds to run out before you think they will. Plan for times to take longer for software development and other aspects also. 100%, definitely. I appreciate you sharing that. And for, for someone listening to this, if we kind of bring it back towards investment, who is considering investing with Aghaz, at what point should they consider in, in, investing uh, towards their future, towards you know any vehicle? At what point should they say, well, I have this much cash, now's a good time to invest? When should we recommend? You know, I have a, a friend of mine who's also, he's a very famous name, but I won't quote him because I don't have his permission to do that. But he's a very well-known name. And he said he just had a son born and he opened a, an investment account for his son. And he's going to mm -hmm. put five bucks or 10 bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever. If whatever you can afford every month, yeah. because it compounds and, and grows over time. 
So my answer is you do it as soon as you can. My I have two teenagers. My son's going to go to college. My daughter's in high school. And I think they should have their Roth accounts, or retirement accounts. I think they should put 10 bucks every month and let that grow over time. See, Abby, if I, if I may, I, let's step back. The problem yeah. we're solving is that in, uh, everybody, you, I, my kids, we have financial lives, right? Mm-hmm. Financial lives, like our physical lives, have milestones. You yeah. are a teenager or a college student. You got bills to pay. Now you have a job, you have some savings, then you want investments, then you want charity and zakat, then you want a house, then you want you know charity and uh, a donor advised fund, and then you want to create a will. These are different milestones. All of these financial milestones have solutions. We need to implement those solutions in the modern state of the art user experience. That's what we are looking to do. So we start as soon as a customer has a dollar to spare. Then they invest with us, they save with us, they earn with us, they donate with us, they get their life insurance through Takaful with us and so on. So I think a customer needs to start with us as soon as they're able to, and then they grow with us through their financial lives like um, and the offerings we should also evolve with that. That's mm-hmm. how I, I really think about it. We are an umbrella company which is solving wealth management. We have to provide insurance products. We have to provide retirement products. We have to provide estate planning. We have to provide donation products. That's the way I think about the vision of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Now, what is a lot of questions that I get when it comes to even my social media and a lot of comments that I receive are when people ask me like, oh, brother, I, I don't know how to how do I determine whether this specific investment is higher or not? How do you determine whether this, you know, this cryptocurrency is higher or not? This stock's higher or not? And when you when when you work with a company like your like yours, which is Agaz Invest, now you don't have to research every single potential investment, and you can instead fo- you know have that peace of mind where I'm able to invest and diversify, and the the studies, the Sharia compliance, all of this has been done for me. Is that correct? That's right. That's the yeah. idea, right? So because there are multiple different levels of investment capability. One mm-hmm. is a very savvy investor who's putting stop losses and trailing stops, and he knows what he's doing. But there's also, like my wife and like many other customers, who don't have a Fidelity or a Robinhood account. They are never mm-hmm. going to go through this process of creating an E-Trade. What about them? Yeah. Right? We have to create solutions where they trust us to take care of the Sharia compliance, of the SEC onboarding, IRS tax requirements, everything transparently so that they can also invest. If we want them to take care of all of the heavy lifting with Robinhood or Fidelity, then we didn't create any value for them. So our job is to create the simplest solution for everyone. Financial inclusion, that's really our goal within the Muslim community. Yeah, definitely. Now, I have a question for you in regards to the current market trends right now. As you probably are well aware of, and as many who are listening to this podcast are seeing right now, whether it's in the news or through their own research, we are nearing a recession, if not have already entered a recession, actually. In fact, I believe it was official around two or three weeks ago that we have entered a recession based on the stock market trends. Now, in a period like this, a lot of people are fearful, right? They look at the stock market and they see fear, right? They see, well, I'm not sure this is going to keep going down. If it does continue to go down, when is it going to go back up? It's a period of uncertainty, right? Now, when we're in a period like this, where we are entering a recession, what can we do as investors if we still want to take advantage so that, you know, coming out of the recession, we really position ourselves in the best way possible? At what point should we, you know, maybe retreat? And at what point should we decide to move forward and begin investing in a period like this? So um, 
I personally think we have been in a recession. The definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. And in yeah. the US, this last quarter was the second one with mm -hmm. a decline in the GDP. Now, whether we declare it or not, doesn't matter. By the definition, we were in a recession. But my point to this is the label. Recession, not a recession, doesn't really matter. It doesn't change much. Other than the fact that we have to be realistic about our expectations in the short term. I believe that the strategy which works in a non-recession bull market is the strategy that works in a recession bear market. And that strategy is dollar cost averaging. You've got mm -hmm. to put some money, five bucks, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever you can afford, and do it religiously every frequency that you can, weekly, mm -hmm. quarterly, monthly, and then just do it. If the market's going down, you're buying assets at a cheaper price. The market's going up, you're still buying assets before they get more expensive. So the dollar cost average, if you listen to Warren Buffett or others, that is the strategy that works always over an extended period of time. So yes, mm -hmm. asset prices in the US have been severely declining. Um, companies like Meta or Facebook and Amazon, they lost a third of their market capitalization. Yes, the market has been pretty horrible. But guess what? These are entry points. Wealth is built in recessions. People who are wealthy today probably made wealth in the 2008 recession that they did. They bought assets when they were in distressed price values and they got in at that point. Now, obviously, not everybody is able to do that. I know people who have hundreds of thousands of unrealized losses. So they can't, they're not liquid. They can't sell anything. If they did, they'd get a loss, right? But the opportunity for people who are able to is great. This is the time when you buy stocks at a low point and then you just continue their growth up. But I would yeah. just say for anybody listening, the one strategy I have for whether you're 16 years old or whether you're 65 years old, dollar cost average. Put money in every week, every month, whatever works for you, and then just let it compound over time. Doesn't yeah. matter, recession, not recession, wouldn't matter. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of times we try to time the markets, right? We try to look for, you know, oh, it's increasing. And again, when it's a bull market, right? Everyone's really excited. People are investing. Uh, that's probably why cryptocurrency flew up so high. And then eventually when we're, it's a bear market, right? It's the recession period. People are fearful. People are retreating. They're selling. And so a lot of times when we, when we try to time the market, what happens is we're buying high and we're selling low, right? But when we just aim to invest a little bit, consistently month over month, what happens is despite, as you mentioned, despite the market trends, whether it's going up or down, you know that if it's going up, well, you're buying in at a point where it, it can continue to go up. And if it's down, then you're buying at a better price. And so over time, you know, if you look statistically at really uh, any type of really index fund as well, kind of like the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to see that over time, no matter what, the average growth is going to be eight to 9%, right? Year over year. And so if you were to just consistently invest every single year, you're going to get an eight to 9% return. Now, I do want to ask you, because that is an interesting question that I have, when we look at the Sharia compliant investments, right? Do we have some type of historical average or some type of statistic to say, well, based on these Sharia compliant investments, this has been the average growth year over year. Is that something that you guys provide? Do you provide analysis, statistical data historically? So I can provide you that, Avi. I'd be happy to, uh, I'll just have to put the appropriate disclaimers that you know past right. performance does not guarantee future and it's mm -hmm. your it's capital at risk. Yeah. Uh, but but there's been a lot of study. People have done PhD thesis actually on this topic. Uh, so yeah. I know somebody in, the, in, uh, in Europe, Switzerland actually, whose dissertation was on the performance of Islamic portfolios during the last great recession 
in 2006 to 8. So it was a very interesting study from it. I have a chart that I'd be happy to share with you. The, a portfolio that was Islamically aligned beat the overall market by 25 points during 2006 to 2008, the recession that we had. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that the next time around it happens, the same performance would repeat, right? But I can also tell you more. As I mentioned, 192 stocks or 190, some changes a little bit every quarter, of the S&P 500 are actually Sharia compliant. So if you mm -hmm. compare the performance of these 192 stocks with the larger set of 500 stocks, this 192 outperforms the larger set, almost mm -hmm. any time window. You can tell me, get me last 10 years, last eight years, three years, five years. This subset probably performs with better volatility and better returns than the larger market. So, mm -hmm. so we, we have mutual funds, we have Islamic halal ETFs. We can create a 20 year trend for you. And while past doesn't guarantee the future, I can tell you that the Islamic portfolios have less volatility and hopefully better returns, both backtesting and forward projection wise. Brother, one question that I ask every single guest on the podcast is if they can look back and give one message to themselves, you know, two, three years ago when they were first beginning on the journey, right? One piece of advice that they could give to themselves that they could hold on to through this journey of entrepreneurship that will help them go through the ups and downs, the roller coaster of business for you what would that be if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice as you built through the, as you built Ahaz invest over these these last two years so so my answer is probably going to be um a, a contrarian answer honestly it won't be the one that probably other entrepreneurs would give you because everybody would say you know what drop out of school you know start your thing right now don't wait do it you say you should wait mm. you should jump into entrepreneurship when you are ready you are ready with your family situation. If you're married, your spouse has to be fully on board with it. You're financially ready because not at the first sign of adversity, you don't want to quit. You have to be ready for at least some period of time so that you could support yourself, your family, put food on the table. So take your time. Take your time. There's always going to be problems to solve. There's always going to be solutions that need to be built. It doesn't have to be today. If you have the best idea in the whole world, but you don't have a supportive family structure, or supportive financial situation, you will try that brilliant idea, but at the first sign of something going wrong, which it inevitably would, you'd have to leave it and quit it. On the alternative, you wait and you be prepared for it. And then when you do your best idea, whatever it was at that time, you're giving yourself a better chance of success. You know, most entrepreneurs do not work. It fails. They fail it. It's just a hard, the odds are stacked against you. So the more you can do to set yourself up, the better it is. And I would say, don't rush into it. Do it when you're ready, financially, physically, family, everything together, because you're giving yourself a better shot for success. I appreciate that, brother. And for you specifically, what, how do you feel like someone could set, set themselves up in a way where they are more likely to succeed, right? For those who do want to enter take, they feel like it's the right time. They feel like it's the right place. I'm ready to go. How could they set it up in a way where they are more likely to actually you know, see success out of this journey and not even material success, but also see their business growing, see their impact growing as well, inshallah. I, I think a customer like, a, a, an entrepreneur like this, first of all, needs to find 10, 15 loyal customers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even need a product. It just needs these 10, 15 people who can give you their time where you can show them what you're thinking. Hey, problem is this. I'm creating this solution. Here's what a paper and pencil sketch looks of this. What do you think? And just learn and learn and learn from those 10 or 15 customers. Your first 15 customers are the most important customers you will ever have. So if you want to set yourself up for success 
as an entrepreneur, you need to find 10, 15, 20 customers, early adopters, who will just look at a pencil sketch of what you're creating and give you valuable feedback on that. Only when you think that those 15, 20 customers have bought in, should you go and build that product out? Because otherwise you're building it without really understanding what the customers are willing to take and pay for. So mm -hmm. I would say first find a minimal set, 20 customers and spend as much time as you can with them to get their feedback and then go and build your business. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that, brother. There's so many gems dropped in this episode and so much to learn from, mashallah. Where can people go if they want to connect with you and continue to follow what you're doing with Aghaz Invest? And as well, where should we guide them if they are interested in actually beginning their journey of investing in a Sharia-compliant way, inshallah? Yeah, so uh, people, for, for Aghaz, you can start from our website or download our app on iOS and Android. As I mentioned, it's only for the U.S. customers today, but hopefully, mm -hmm. inshallah, soon in, in other parts of the country, of the world as well. Uh, so you can download our app called Agaz, A-G-H-A-Z. I got to tell you a little story about the name also when I finish here. Or you can visit our website uh, at agazinvest.com. Uh, you can also reach me, Khuram, K-H-U-R-R-A-M, at agazinvest.com. That's my personal email address. Uh, so the story about the name, my name is Khuram Aga. So everybody's like, Agaz is basically my last name. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that it's not. Uh, Agaz in Urdu, I'm from Pakistan originally, Aghaz means the beginning, the start, mm. the first step. So to me, Aghaz is the first step towards your financial journey. So mm. that's why we named this company Aghaz, because it's the Urdu Aghaz, which means the beginning or the start. And the fact that it matches my last name is just a nice coincidence. I can see that. I also, honestly, I fell for it. I thought, oh, he used his last name. I liked it. But no, I, I didn't know Urdu. So that was really beautiful to see. And I agree. I think ultimately, the day that you decide to really begin the journey of investment is is really a milestone in your life and one that should be remembered and celebrated. And inshallah, if you have the opportunity right now to do it in a halal way, then definitely go and check out Agaz. Download the app on iOS or Android if you're in the US or check out their website, agazinvest.com. We'll, <clears throat> we'll include the link in the episode notes below this interview, inshallah. Or if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcast, check out the episode notes and we'll include it there. Brothers, like so much for joining me. This was an absolute pleasure of a podcast and I learned so much and I'm sure our listeners appreciated it as well. So, Rizak al-Khair for that. Well, yeah, and thanks for having me on, Abby.